Welcome to Christian Medical and Dental Association's Chapel. We trust this message will encourage your walk with the Lord. I'm going to talk about understanding the times this morning, uh, mainly because, newsflash, we're at the beginning of a new year, and this tends to be the time of year that I think about this and and kind of take a a little bit of a a survey uh, in my own life and uh, at what's going on, but uh, I did talk about this uh, in a very narrow sense last September, uh, and I'm going to cover it more broadly this time, but uh, the other reason I think it's important to talk about this is because it's really uh, widely talked about in Scripture. In fact, the Open Bible website lists 61 different verses about discerning the times, the importance of that. And uh, Probably the, the one verse that we know best is this from First Chronicles. Uh, from Issachar, it talks about the men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. But there's another, I think, more important verse, uh, and in fact, uh, it comes from our Lord Jesus. Uh, in Luke 12:56. he says, You hypocrites! You know how to interpret the the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Therefore, he's saying that we should be able to interpret the present time. And I do want to point out that normally when Jesus talks to and says the term hypocrites, we think that he's talking to the religious leaders, the Pharisees. But in this particular instance... He's talking to a large crowd of people in Luke. He's talking to us. And so, again, all that to say that I think it's very important for us to do our best to understand the times and what is happening. Now, we can't think about and talk about the times without that particular virus there. And don't worry, I'm not going to spend the whole time talking about the pandemic. Uh, I, I could do that, but <laughs> I'm not going to. However, I do think that the pandemic is a positive tool because it's really acting like a magnifying glass to us. And what do I mean? Well, there are several things that a magnifying glass does. Uh, it adds heat. When, you know, I remember vividly in, in the summer months in July when I was in grade school taking a magnifying glass to a sidewalk and burning paper, you know, or even trying to char the the sidewalk, and many of you have had that. So the magnifying glass has a way of focusing our attention in a way, and it adds stress to the culture. It adds stress to us as individuals. It forces us to prioritize our time, and it forces us at times to have sacrifice. But most importantly, a magnifies and magnifying glass reveals things. And I think it is this pandemic. Here we are about to enter the second year of this pandemic. And actually, Mike likes to often, when he talks about me coming to CMDA, he said, I came with the pandemic. I don't think he's ever accused me of bringing the pandemic, but I certainly did come with the pandemic starting on April 1st uh, in 2020. And so we're not quite two years into this. And I want to think about what it is revealing about, uh, in three different areas, what is it revealing about us, what is it revealing about the world, and what is it revealing about the church in general. 
And I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about us as individuals because I do think that is really something that we need to do as individuals and, and take some time. And I would encourage you to do that. But the first verse I think about is from James chapter 1, 2 to 4, one of my favorite verses, where James writes, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, or in other translations, endurance. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So, I just would ask you, have you considered in your experience with this pandemic and the stress that it has brought, the ways that it has forced you to make sacrifices, have you considered what the Lord is trying to accomplish in your life through this trial? And that's only a question that you can answer. That's between you and the Lord. But that does take some time. And now that the holidays are past us, uh, are behind us, uh, this is a good time to really think and, and be spending some time meditating and praying about that. And we have to remember that even though a trial is by definition never fun, it is a negative, otherwise it wouldn't be a trial. But by definition they are negative, they are unpleasant, they're never fun, we don't enjoy them, but God has a goal, a purpose to use that trial in our lives to bring us to what is used in, in the term here in James as a sense of com completeness. Other translations will talk about perfection. I, know, I don't know about you, but I wish that we could get towards completeness by just studying and going through and, and working hard in pleasant situations, but that's not the way that we are created. We are created to move toward completeness and perfection through difficulties. So I think then, recognizing that, it's important for us to spend some time asking these two questions. Again, what, what is the Lord working on in your life through this difficulty, and, and have you allowed him to move you closer to that level of completeness? With that, I'm going to leave the individual and look again at the world. I think this is an area where uh, the world and the church that we can get a lot of information looking at, at uh, through the lens, the magnifying lens of the pandemic. And it's clear, I don't think this comes as any surprise to anybody, that the world is divided. Uh, the world was divided before the pandemic, but I think to me it has become even more clear than ever how divided we are. And I, I'll just talk about things related to the pandemic. We're divided over vaccines, we're divided over masks, we're divided over school, whether or not our, our kids should be in schools. We're divided over mandates, we're divided over gatherings. Still, almost two years into this, and we are divided over social distancing. And... Uh, I could spend far more time talking about why I think this is the case. Just very briefly, I think it has to do with where our world derives their sense of authority and, and answers to the pandemic and other problems. And, and when you look at the world, the world really only has, in my mind, two major authorities to go to. And of course, the one that is happening more and more is us as individuals going to themselves, 
the autonomy that we're seeing that's, that's increasing in the world. Um, and, that, and that, of course, then leads people in going in, the, in lots of different directions. But there's another, another authority, and I think that this has happened again with the pandemic, and that is people are looking to the government for the answers and for how to deal with this, and to take, frankly, to take care of this. I mean, uh, I often hear the quote that uh, President Biden said during his campaign that he would take care of the pandemic. And I think he now regrets saying that because he's not God. Uh, and he has very limited ability to deal with that. But there are a lot of people that, that are divided about how the government should do it and, and whether or not the government should do it. And this is just, I don't know if you can see it up there, just one question that comes out of the Peer Research Center. And it's a very basic question, and that is, it was asked a year ago, do you think that the coronavirus outbreak, the pandemic, is a major threat to health? I mean, I, I, that's a pretty basic question. And there's a huge division between Democrats and Republicans, where the Democrats, about 80% plus, say yes it is, and the Democrats are around 40%. No, it, you know, it, it's not. And it's, it's kind of like, wow, that's just interesting. And, and my point is, we are divided. We are divided. And unfortunately, so is the church. And I think that it's not that the pandemic has divided the church. I firmly believe that there were underlying divisions within the church, but they weren't very evident. This is where the magnifying glass of the pandemic has really, in my mind, opened my eyes to a lot of this. And, and the church is divided in very similar ways as the world. We're divided on vaccines. We're divided on masks. We're divided on whether or not our children should be in school. We're divided on mandates. We're divided on gatherings. And we're divided on social distancing. And as you, any of you who interact with our membership know that that's really exemplified by our members. Our members are divided in all of these things. And frankly, that's a little bit of a surprise to me. And it's a little bit of, I wouldn't say a little bit, it's, it's a disappointment. And, and just, here's an example. Another peer research uh, survey was done again about, uh, actually it was done in July of 2020. And a relatively straightforward question, do you think that the social distancing guidelines that are applied in general out in public places should also be applied in the church. And about 75% of the Christians said yes, it ought to follow, but 25% said no. And that's a little puzzling because I don't think the virus acts any differently when it's in the church versus other places. Now, certainly there have been unfair social guidelines that have been put out there. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just in general. And, and it's still rather surprising that we have these differences. And again, it goes back to the major disappointment, which is what would the Lord want for us as a church, as an organization? And clearly, uh, we take from his prayer, his high priestly prayer in John 17, where Jesus, just before he is arrested and crucified, he prays a very long and involved prayer to the Father. And that 
part of that I'm just listed there, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, and that they may be one even as we are one. This was the heart of Jesus. And it is the heart of Jesus today. And again, there was purpose behind this because the purpose overall is to show and witness to the world that we are different, that we are unique, that we are united in Jesus. And it's a way to, to really testify to the world uh, that, of that difference and of the benefit of being a Christian. But, um, and, and I won't spend a lot of time, my point is that the church and, uh, and uh, overall has, I think, failed in this. And I, I, don't, I don't have time to go into all the reasons. I, I, I think that obviously, ideally, the sole authority in the church would be Jesus. It's difficult, though, what would Jesus do in a pandemic, uh, to try and answer that question. But I do think that too many of us within the church are also guided by self, of course, guided by Jesus, but in, in some means also, and I'm speaking very generally, not, not, not of, the, of us, I'm not focal, but just generally across the country, there still are many people within the church that look far too much to the government to to deal with the pandemic and therefore we have differences. But my point is uh, that as we look at the times and we read the times that the pandemic has caused our church overall to be divided and that's not a positive. The second thing that is happening in the world is that the world is increasingly anti-Christian. And again, this is probably not a surprise to you and this is a process that did not begin with the pandemic. It's been going on, but it is increasing in, in intensity, and I think it's increasing in how rapidly it's happening. And this is what I talked about back in September, and, and I think it, it does relate to this, and that is that there are two basic ways to view the world, very, very basic ways. You can either view the world and our universe in that we are created beings, and if so, that means that the world has a preset structure. There is a creator. And um, that means also that the world has built in, and when I say world, the universe has built in values. And then the overall goal for us as human beings is to conform ourselves to those built-in values. And so this is where all of the religions of the world would line up. Now, they would define those values differently, but still, Jewish faith... Muslim faith, obviously the Christian faith, would all agree that yes, there are built-in values because there is a creator and that creator has values. That's one way to look at the world. A very different way is to see the world as arising accidentally, completely by chance. It's very materialistic so that the world really exists solely of raw material that can be used as we see fit. We are the creators. There is no omniscient being, and therefore there are no inherent values in the world at all, period, none. We make our own values. So the goal of humans in this worldview then is to use raw material, 
to create the life that we want, maximize our pleasure. That's the essence of it. And uh, those that are not believers in God, atheists, this is in essence what they believe. And those are two very different ways of looking at the world. And what's happened, in, especially in the last 10 to 15 years, is that the, those that look at the world through these materialistic lens as accidental actually see us as getting in their way. We are stopping them from using the raw material of the world and therefore we need to be eliminated. Now, the other thing, that the trend that works with this is that over the last 15 years, I don't know how well you can see this, but this again is from the Pew Research Council. It looks at the number of adults that are, are religiously affiliated that would claim that they were Christians. And in 2007, it was about 78%. In 2021, it went down to uh, 62%, a, a drop of about 15% over uh, about 13 years. Not a good sign. And that's continuing. That's here in the United States. That's not across the world. The world picture is very different. I don't have time to go into that all that much. But I, I don't think it's people necessarily leaving, uh, certainly not people that are, were Christians, true Christians, and leaving the faith. I think it's people that were nominal Christians, and over time they've recognized that they really don't believe, and they have adopted the materialistic view. And, uh, but this is a trend that is continuing and, and will continue, I think, in the future. So some examples of this anti-Christian, you may be familiar. Obviously, evangelical colleges having their accreditation threatened, Threats against campus groups, including our campus groups. Uh, we had that last, uh, last spring in Ohio. Uh, adoption agencies that are faith-based, that have been forced to accept couples in same-sex marriage. It's, it's not, they're not given the freedom to, to just uh, use uh, married couples. They are being forced to accept these same-sex marriages, marriage couples. A Marine that was court-martialed because she pasted a Bible verse above her desk. It's just amazing to me. Um, a football coach, uh, you probably have heard in the news, that, that had the, the, the pattern of going out after the game, after the lights were shut off, go out in the middle of the field and, field and he would kneel down and pray. And he's been penalized for that. And, and it, there are many, many other examples. But that is a trend. That is another bit of evidence that's it's happening in the world today. And this just is confirmed again by the Pew Research Center where there's been a 20% increase in the perception of discrimination against Christians just from 2016 to 2019. This was again prior to the pandemic. So this is happening. Some other trends in the world is that because of this worldview that they've adopted, there is increasing importance and emphasis placed on autonomy. There is no God, I rule myself. I will, I will do what I want to do. And therefore, there is an increased emphasis on the freedom to be able to do that. I, I want to be able to. I will work, I will fight for that freedom to do what I want to do. And then there is obvious uh, emphasis on pleasure-seeking, which we're seeing in in all kinds of ways across especially our country, but really across the Western world. But I don't want to dwell on that very much. I want to really point out that 
what we don't hear very often, in the media especially, is that there are some things that are decreasing because of this materialistic worldview. And that is the sense of identity. When you adopt the materialistic worldview that uh, we are nothing but the material that makes us up, that we are here only by chance, we then un unknowingly minimize our identity. There's no sense of identity that we have as Christians that we are sons and daughters of the living God. There's a world of difference in that. And, and that's a huge positive for us. But their sense of identity is they're just another being that came about by accident. And there's no purpose in their life outside of themselves. Again, they're seeking as much pleasure as they can to make their life what they want it to be, but there's no overall purpose. Their life ends when it ends, and it's, it's like they will disappear from existence and, and history and all else. And, and that's compared to us as Christians where we have a purpose to glorify the God who made us. Very different. And there's therefore no hope for those that have this materialistic view. And if this isn't talked about, I've, I've never seen it in, in the uh, secular uh, media and secular literature, but it's an important problem. And really what it does is it, it, it's reflected in the increased emotional suffering of our world. And that has been documented. Um, and I, I don't have time to go into it. But just again, this is prior to the pandemic from 2014 to 2019 in that five-year period of time. Mental Health America, which is a, a, an organization that keeps track of this, it's part of our, our government, but an increase in the number of adults, percentage of adults with mental illness, with suicide, and especially youth. Between 2014 and 2019, there's almost a doubling in the number of youth, percentage of youth dealing with major depression. And it should not surprise us when you are adopting that worldview that you don't get depressed because there is no sense of worth and no sense of ultimate um, purpose and ultimate hope. So, winding this down, what does that mean for us as Christians? What are we to take with this? And just, just some thoughts. Uh, first of all, there is some bad news. Um, doing ministry is going to get, it's becoming more difficult and it will continue to become more difficult, especially here in the United States and I would say in the Western world. And second, uh, for a variety of reasons, I think there are fewer of us that are involved in ministry. It used to be, I used to hear about the 20-80% rule uh, within churches. I think it's now shifted to the 10%, 90% where you have 10% that are very engaged and 90% that are not. Uh, lots of reasons for that. I think that a lot of our church members are increasingly distracted by the pleasures of the world. Um, uh, I, don't, I could go on on that and I won't. But the good news is that God is in control. None of this is a surprise to him. In fact, he did predict it. He predicted it uh, in Matthew. He predicted it uh, uh, in, through Paul and his letters to uh, Timothy. Lots of ways that he's predicted it. And there's plenty of opportunity for ministry. I mean, increasing needs. We don't have to look around as to what we need to be doing as, as Christians. Um, 
I do want to point out, there's a tendency to think that as things get worse that we are getting really close to the Lord coming again. And I do think we are getting closer to the Lord coming. And a lot of the things that, that Jesus talks about in especially Matthew 24 uh, have happened. There have been wars and, and, and famines and earthquakes and all of those things. But there's one important thing that has not yet occurred that Jesus said would have to occur before he would come. And I've listed it here in verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. In other words, the Lord is waiting to come back until we finish the job of evangelizing the world. And I don't have a lot of time on this, but uh, this is uh, just some information out of the Joshua Project, which tends to track this. You may be familiar with it, but there are basically two ways to look at how well we're doing in terms of evangelism of the world. One is through the number of people groups, which is the term used in Matthew, ethnoc, ethni. It's, it's different people groups that need to be evangelized. And uh, we've evangelized a little over 57% so far, but that means we have about 42.5% to go. Uh, that's not necessarily good news. We've been at it for uh, almost 2,000 years, and uh, we've only done a little over half. And the other way of looking at this is just the total population of the world. And still, about 28% of the world's population has had virtually no exposure to the gospel of Jesus Christ whatsoever. Um, <clears throat> so a lot of work to be done. And that's why I'm frankly very thankful for the work we do at CMDA. In fact, I look at CMDA really as a mini body of Christ. We have so many different parts of the organization. We have parts that are involved in an evangelization around the world like GHO and, and MEI working in the 1040 window, uh, our, our other supports for missionaries through the CMDE commission, uh, our work of evangelization, evangelization here in the United States through CCM and others, and, and frankly, uh, just being salt and light, which is what we do in, in advocacy. But I'm encouraged uh, that, that, and I'm honored to be part of an organization that really, in a, in a very narrow way, does in many ways represent the body of Christ and, and have different parts of us that, that are involved. And so my final thing to all of us today is that as you take time in, in thinking and praying about it, I would hope that you have a solid understanding of how God has gifted you as an individual. Because... God has gifted each one of us in different ways to accomplish the overall mission. So it isn't, you don't ever ask, am I gifted? It is, how are you gifted? And, and I think, I would hope that each of us has a very good idea of, uh, and that may be evolving a little bit, but a, a fairly good idea of how God has gifted us to impact the world around us for Christ and that's really the second, is, is do you really understand how God wants to use you and your gift? And again, I think, uh, I know I'm preaching to the choir here because the vast majority of us do know that, but there, there are times that we can uh, maybe want to uh, reevaluate that and see is the Lord doing something a little bit different uh, now that he wants us to make a slight adjustment or whatever, and again, that is uh, up to us, us as individuals. So... With that, I do want to leave us on a positive note with this quote from John 16. Again, uh, the 
high prayer of Jesus where he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, and we certainly do have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Let me pray. Father God, I, I do thank you for the many gifted people that are part of this organization, that are connecting virtually, that are scattered in staff around the country and literally around the world. Uh, and I just, I just pray that you will give each of us an increasing sense of what is happening in these times, an increasing sense of, of what's happening in the world, of what's happening in the church in general. And specifically, Father, I pray that you will help us to understand what our part will be in responding to those different issues and how we can best bring you glory and honor in the way we serve. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.